That is the World Champions theme song. Because, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we've reached that point in our uh, uh, journey through the Vince Russo era. It is time for the World Heavyweight Championship being held by DC-list celebrity David Arquette, five foot six, 150 pounds. If it wasn't for Ray Mysterio, if it wasn't for Ray Mysterio, he'd be the smallest world champion of all time. Um, this is the Wrestling Outsiders podcast. I am the hostess with the mostest, Arya Whitner. That is some guy that I let occasionally talk on our show. That's Brian. Brian, say hello to hi, people. Hello, people. Oh, Lord. I, I feel like there's no, uh, there's nothing else we can talk about before diving into the show. It, it, it's just, it's, yeah. Whoever's genius idea was to put the World Heavyweight title, a title held by people, by great people, like Nature Boy Rex Flair, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Immortal Hulk Hogan and David Arquette. What name does not belong well, in that sentence? Well, we'll get we'll go through everything here tonight. Um, by the way, we are on week three of our quest to discover who pushed the tables over on the wall that time. Yes, yes, week three. It. it it's a burning mystery that we still have yet to uh, have acknowledged ever again. And also, Kidman is still the hide-and-go-seek champion of the world. Not forget to mention that. Yes. At least he wins something. Yes, yes. What okay. Blue Moon they throw him a bone and let him win a match, but it's only against some D-level guy anyway. Now, uh, before we get going with Nitro... We gotta do what we do every week and talk about what you miss by not watching <laughs> Thunder on the WWE Network. Uh, so going through it, the New Blood abused David Arquette, including in the boiler room. DDP was the person playing hide and go seek as he searched all over for Arquette. Kidman said Hogan was dead, and then Kidman pinned Hogan cleanly in the ring. Of course. It was actually Horace Hogan who turned babyface by doing that match. Um, Total horse. I don't know why he's so horse. Well, he never has his voice. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, we'll find out in a, a little while why he why he usually never talks. So, do you remember how Tank Abbott is waylaying on fans to get prepared for Goldberg Thunder? The fan in the arena just happened to be former WWF Intercontinental Champion and former WCW TV Champion, Mark Merrow. Oh, my God. And Mark Merrow, who I don't think has won a match on TV at this point in two years, um, stood toe-to-toe with Abbott, and Abbott had to be backed down. I'd be terrified of Mark Merrow. Have you ever heard his inspirational speech? I have not. It's beautiful. It's fucking beautiful, man. Now, do you remember last week when Sting was soaked in the new blood at the end of Nitro? I mean, the man so disgusted he didn't shower for two days and shut up with it on Nitro. Army of Thunder. Yes, he was still covered in the red blood on Thunder, showing that he does not, in fact, bathe regularly. Um... Rick Flair announced that if Vince Russo interferes in the, the Shane Douglas match at Slamboree, then Flair gets five minutes with uh, Vince Russo. And I want to point out, Vince Russo, the heel, the man who's never wrestled before, and more importantly, writes the fucking show, wrote himself to not back down from Rick Flair and instead flat out said that he was unafraid of having to 
face flare in the ring. And then Russo announced in one of those, to continue the Russo's obsessed with 1980s WWF people thing, he announced that Miss Elizabeth is not contracted to be the manager of Lex Luger. She's contracted to WCW, and because of that, she is forcing, he is forcing Elizabeth against her will to be his valet. Poor Miss Elizabeth. There was a match between Charmel and Sonny, and they referred to okay. Charles Robinson as the third man in the ring. Booker T was a babyface on Thunder, and Scott Steiner, the heel, by himself, beat up Booker T, Hugh Morris, Chavo Guerrero, Lash LaRue, and Van Hammer. Um, now, you might recall last week they promoted that Bret Hart would do an interview on Thunder about why he hit Hogan with a chair a couple weeks ago. Well, he did it because he's still pissed off that Hogan never passed the torch to him in the WWF. And then there was a main event. Brian, take it from here. Dear God, the main event featured World Heavyweight Champion DDP teaming up with David Arquette to take on Eric Bischoff and Jeff Jarrett with Kimberly as the referee and a special stipulation that whomever made the pinfall would become World Heavyweight Champion. That's always great. We have the title on the line in a tag team match. Playa. Crusty Playa. So DDP controls most of this match. However, Kim really playing the lovely heel referee that she is, every time Paige would go for a, a three count, she would, like, count once and then pretend to break a nail or something to that extent. At least she's doing more than most biased referees and actually, you know, pretending to count. The match ended up with, I, I think, now that I'm thinking of it, DDP hit the diamond cutter on good old Double J. No, no, that was, that was before, um, no, yeah. Yeah, DDP hit the diamond cutter on Jared, went for the pin. Kimberly made the fast one count, or the slow one count. Paige got up, laid a lip smack on Kimberly to get her all woozy and probably horny. Uh, Jared comes back in, and around this time, David Arquette comes limping down from backstage after his brutal assault back in the boiler room. Spears Eric Bischoff at the same time has Jared hits DDP with a guitar. DD, uh, Jared pins DDP. Arquette pins Bischoff. New referee comes running down, and the genius that he is goes to Arquette. It makes the one, two, and three, and David Arquette is your world heavyweight champion. N- not to forget in this, uh, DDP celebrated losing the world title. Yes, of all things. Yes. To show you just how important the championship was, DDP, who just lost it, was celebrating the fact that he lost it. Now, I want you to keep this entire storyline in mind because it's going to lead to a hell of a rant next week. You know? (laughs) Um, So we go to... WCW Monday Nitro, May 1st, 2000, live from Birmingham, Alabama. Um, Over on Raw, they just crowned The Rock as the WWF champion. WCW, well, here's a positive. And I know this isn't, you know, an obscure note, but as a lot of people know, the money that WCW paid David Arquette, he donated to the families of Brian Pillman, Owen Hart, and Darren Draws. Which was awesome. When it comes, yeah, when it comes to people who have been world champions, you know, there were a lot worse people 
but you know, he's obviously not. Uh, th- this is honestly the worst idea you've ever heard to put the world title on somebody. And I'm sure David's a nice guy. And, you know, the stories always well, were that he nice added. Guy. He donated most of it. He donated all of it. Yeah. yeah. He did not want to win the world title. You know, the story is that Tony Schiavone said it to, him, said it to Russo as a joke. What if Arquette wins? And Russo fucking ran with it. He got a advertisement in the USA Today that was basically mocking it. And that was the thing, that and one of the things that we'll get to are the two things that when you ever bring up to Vince Russo or Ket winning, they'll always mention, well, bro, it was in the USA Today, bro. And, you know, it wouldn't have been in the USA Today, bro, if uh, GDP or Jeff Jarrett just won, bro. Great. True. You killed the world title. You killed the uh attendance for Slamboree, which of course we'll get to, and he killed the buy rate of that show, which, you know, spoiler alert, Slamboree was at the time the lowest buy rate in WCW pay-per-view history. Hmm. That specific one. At the time, yeah. Yeah. It gets beat. But, you know, just let you know. Birmingham in front of a whopping 3,635 paid attendance, paying $77,000 total. That's, that's, not, that's a pretty... Sh- that's a, yeah, that's a pretty shitty gate, wouldn't you say, Brian? Yeah, I would say so. That's what Hogan made I'm gonna in like make 15 minutes. I'm going to make it worse, because of that $77,000, 25000 went to Hulk Hogan, as a contract to pay for doing the show. And then if that's not enough, they destroyed not one, not two, three cars on this show, including a brand new limousine. And I'm going to bet the limo had to at least been about $60,000. I'm going to bet more, but, you know, I'll just guess that's at 60000 nice. Yeah. So... Just in, honestly, just with the car budget, but with Hogan's money plus the car budget, this was a severe money loser right here. And I'd like to point out while we discuss these figures that part of it is, like, it's not entirely Vince Russo's fault for the uh, money situation because the geniuses in WCW gave Vince Russo a contract where his bonuses were purely based on the TV ratings and had absolutely nothing to do with any increased revenues that Russo may get for the company. So Russo had zero incentive to not do batshit crazy things like destroy three cars or kill ticket sales because, you know, it wouldn't have mattered if they sold 20,000 tickets or 20. Yeah. This is true. So the show begins with the other thing that Vince Russo will always point out, playing about Arquette winning the title. He'll he'll tell you that it was in the USA Today, and the other thing is that Courtney Cox and Kurt Russell, uh, free of charge, did a videotape vignette for uh, the show. And they, they... it was in two parts. Uh, the first aired before the show started uh, with Courtney Cox telling Arquette that uh, he wasn't a wrestler. And then he said, she said it again later while he went to attack Kurt Russell with a chair. And that was, you know, that was well worth all the uh, momentum that they killed, all the money that they lost just for that minute with Courtney Cox and Kurt Russell. Minute all all together was one minute. I'd say both things for about a minute total. So, 
back to our show on meth after a thunder recap by sheer coincidence arriving at the building at the exact same time is DDP, David Arquette, and the New Blood all arriving. Everyone argues in the parking lot. Yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, everyone. Exactly, everyone. That's up. So everyone argues in the parking lot until Hulk Hogan arrives and drives his car into a brand new limo, destroying both of those cars. How Paige's car made out of it without being destroyed, I'll never know. Because, you know. Me neither. Hogan and Paige beat this crap out of Jared and Awesome as the security breaks it up. Uh, what what drugs was Russo on, you think? I want whatever he was on. That's for sure. He had to been on speed or some shit, because this fucking show is, like, booked by somebody who, like, this is like ADD to the nth degree. Yeah, by the way, remember when we were, remember when we were talking about uh, how this show made $77,000 and they killed it all between Hogan and the cars? Uh-huh. Well, Mark Madden cost WCW some more money. Oh, God. Um, how much How much attention are you paying to in the open? Like the opening? Yes, when like, they introduced the, the show. Back. Not very much, why? Well, Mark Madden announced that Bruno San Martino was rolling over in his grave. Oh yeah, I did. Now, I actually did. I did. I do remember hearing that. I'm like thinking, I'm like, Bruno's not dead. You may not be aware of this, but Bruno is in fact still alive, even now, 17 years later. And the reason why yeah. he said that was because Madden and Bruno hate each other. This led to Bruno suing WCW uh, because Madden refused to apologize for saying that. No were too corrected so, by any of the announcers. No. So, this show, like, they, in the first five minutes of this show, WCW lost so much money. Yep. I mean, Hogan alone lost them, what, in accordance to your estimate, $85,000? 25 Well, then, well, plus, 25, they ran into the limo. Well, well, the limo plus the car he ran into it with. So, I mean, that's yeah. over 100. So, yeah. Um, crowbar versus Norman Smiley in a hardcore match. And because Vince Russo books everything because it's funny, Norman came out with his mystery partner for Slamboree, and he was dressed like the local minor league hockey team mascot. Yeah, and something like that. Scott Hudson decided that he was the day to make fun of fat people, and I'm shocked that Oprah didn't sue WCW next, because yeah. he's, he's sitting here talking about how uh, this person's fat like Oprah. And the mascot would not take his giant head off and somehow got stuck in the ropes. Well, it's all part of the gimmick. You have to realize that. This man did not go back out through the ropes and, you know, just jump over the top or fall over the top or whatever. No. He stuck himself between the top and the middle rope, bent over like he was about to accept uh, anal sex, and then... Crowbar and Norman Smiley had to fight around him. <sighs> and at one point, got we big wiggle. Gave the mystery partner the big wiggle, which, in case you've never seen it, is a simulation of anal sex. And then That's Norman right. came up behind Crowbar and gave him the big wiggle. Um mystery partner finally got out of the ropes and the finish was the mystery partner was on his hands and knees Norman tripped over him backwards 
and fell into perfect position to accidentally roll up crowbar for the shockingly clean win. Accidentally, of course. Now, don't get used to clean wins, because I think that's the only one. I know, right? You, you have any thoughts on that match? I just love how the mascot was just fat and disgusting and yeah. Yeah. And what's up? So then we had the, he was securely sitting in the announcer's booth. So we then had that annoying thing that they they've done on every show so far, where they just randomly cut away a whole bunch of times to a whole bunch of things going on all at once that all last about five seconds each, so you, you don't know how the, what the hell is going on. Uh, you had Arquette, Page, and Canyon uh, walking around, and Arquette not wanting the title all of a sudden. You had the New Blood walking backstage, and then Team Package showed up 15 minutes into the show. Always come late. Uh, yeah. They showed the second Arquette and Courtney Cox video here, which is the more famous one of the two. Um, Sean Stasiak. Oh my God. <laughs> Go home show to Slamboree, by the way, in case I haven't said yeah. that yet. Yeah, um, yeah. Sean Stasiak, in preparation for his big grudge match against Kurt Hennig, announced tonight that he was going to break the record for free-throw shooting. Now, he never actually explained what he was, like, what about free-throw shooting was he breaking? And what he meant to say, the most consecutive free-throws made, which was like 5,200 and something. And he was going to do this in about an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, I don't want to call time, bull- of course. Yeah. I don't want to call bullshit on this, Brian. But you know Yeah. Now, then it was time for the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Now, do you recall when I was telling you about Jeff Jarrett holding the belt for eight days? Yeah. Day six of the David Arquette world title reign. So, let that sink in for a second. DDP, by the way, lasted one day. Uh, Arquette's already at uh, six. So, David Arquette comes out with DDP and Canyon. Shockingly, WWE did not break out the money that horrible rip-off of We're Not Gonna Take It that I played at the beginning of the show. Thank God. Um, and the overdubbed, the overdubbed song that they did use was so loud that you couldn't hear anything else on the show. Nothing um, that. got over by saying Birmingham was the hometown of Courtney Cox. He said that he was not a sports entertainer and thus he's relinquishing the title and it will be on the line in the three-cage match at Slamboree. So, of course, Jeff Jarrett comes out, and if you ever wondered why TNA lost so much money over the years, you know, Jeff Jarrett showed that he doesn't have a lick of common sense by saying that David Arquette would not be allowed to forfeit the world title, you know. By the way, Russo handcuffed Liz to the bottom row. Uh, while this whole group of people, and I forgot to do Why something here since she was attached to a dog leash. Flip came out along with the devil, the devil, oh yeah. Yes, the devil. I have to play that every week, Brian. She's not the devil. She's the most beautiful woman in the world. I don't say she's the devil. She's the most beautiful person in the world. Please don't hurt me, please. That movie was from 19 years ago. So, Bischoff announced that Arquette was not allowed to vacate the title, and instead he would be defending the title 
in a three-way match in the triple cage at Flamboree. And somehow, it was decided that now was the perfect time for Lex Luger to come running out. And despite the fact that Liz was now tied to the ropes, and Lex Luger had a running head start, uh, Vince Russo, the super athlete that he is, was able to untie Liz and run away with her before Luger could catch him. He is a Everyone super else, I mean, Luger has climbed out there in A's, yes, you remember. Russo well, has a bit more, you know, stamina than Luger, I'm sure. Well, everyone else completely ignored uh, that this happened and just continued with the promo. Um, Bischoff said that the world champion would have to do a tune-up, so tonight he would wrestle Tank Abbott. You know, the guy being built up for Goldberg. 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 So this brought up Tank. DDP said that Arquette uh, would not do it, which featured Eric Bischoff beating up the world heavyweight champion. Maybe Eric Bischoff should get the first title reign. Speaking of world champions, uh, the future slash former NWA world champion, Colorado kid Mike Rapata, was one of the security guards that had to break it all up. I, well, yeah. I bet he didn't even... He was the guy... He was the security guard with the really shitty-looking curly mullet. Was it blonde? No, it was dark. Uh, by the way, he, uh, you want to know who he beats for the NWA world title? Who? Well, he's a two-time champion. First, he uh, defeats Jerry Flynn in a tournament final. And oh, then he yeah. loses it. Yeah, he loses to Sabu and then wins it back from Sabu. Hmm. So, yeah. Uh, so that was the world title reign of Colorado kid, Mike Rapata. So if you Mike ever... Who? Mike Rapata. Okay, though. Yes. It, I just remember, um, for some reason, for a very brief amount of time, our local TV station in Pennsylvania would get uh, Power Pro Wrestling out of Memphis. And Colorado Kid, Mike Rapata, was the big star at the time. And that whole thing of the Colorado Kid, Mike Rapata, always made me laugh. And the fact that he ended up as the NWA champion uh, is always the most laughable thing that I always bring up when people talk about the lineage of the NWA title. I mean, some other people held that title as pretty prestige, too. Like Tokyo Monster Kahagas. Yes. By the way, as we get to the checklist of everything Vince Russo does in every single show, Lex Luger is now playing hide-and-seek. Hell yeah. Uh, Sean Stasiak is still shooting free throws. Um, I just, you know, I don't want to call bullshit on this, but there's like five basketballs there and one person doing a half-assed job of rebounding. I'm yeah, gonna bet he's not accurate. Yeah, I'm gonna bet he doesn't really uh, make five thousand free throws. I think that's a big test. We'll see. Don't run it for the loyal listeners that we have. So, for some reason, Eric Bischoff is mad at Hugh Morris. So, tonight, Hugh is going to wrestle Scott Steiner and Jeff Jarrett in a three-way dance, and if any members of the Misfits in action interfere, they will be fired. Yeah. So, it's time for a tables match. The Wall versus Horace Hogan. Um, just want to point out that 
that the tables match is allegedly the wall's specialty, but going into this match, he's so far 0-1 in tables matches. Well, the Undertaker not, has not won every Casca match he's been in. Yeah, but at least one, one or two to get the gimmick over. Sure. Um, Miss Hancock came out for some reason, and I imagine the reason why Miss Hancock keeps coming out will pay off around the same time we find out who pushed the tables over on the wall. Probably. Uh, Horace had the match won when Kidman came out, and since Horace's last name is Hogan. He got to beat the fuck out of Kidman. That makes sense. Yes. Uh, however, that tired chorus, so Wall gave him a boot, choked something through a table, and picked up the win. And yes, folks, the Wall is on a one-match winning streak. By God. By so God, Kidman King. And Wall, By God, King. Kidman and Wall are beating up Horace. So out comes Hulk Hogan. And we're not even pretending anymore. Kidman ran away. So Mike Awesome ran in for the attack. Hogan beat up all three of them up by himself until Awesome got in a lucky shot. Uh, Wall threw a table into the ring, but Hogan got up and beat all three of them again. He went for a superplex, but Kidman uh, hit him in the back and so, awesome, and so Awesome gave Hulk Hogan a sunset flip power bomb through the table. Yeah. Some that, Brian. Why Hogan is letting these pretty much nobodies putting him through the table, I'm not really sure. Just to, like, he does it and then he just ruins their careers. They go, okay, I'll let them get a couple good moves on me then, you know, I'll fuck them all. And because, well, to make it better, a a little bit of Hogan and a little bit of Russo here, as in order to take away any possible benefit Awesome may have of this, we immediately are magically whisked away to a graveyard where you can just barely make out Vampiro cutting a bad promo on Sting and challenging him to fight him in the graveyard. (gasps) Gasp! Russo is out next, dragging Liz to the ring. He told Luger he's not hiding from him and instead is calling him out for later tonight. Uh, He's calling his bitch ass out. Apparently not everyone is Hulk Hogan and wants to play hide-and-seek for two hours. Oh, come on. So we get the three-way match. Jeff Jarrett, Scott Steiner, and Hugh Morris. I should point out that Scott Steiner is currently scheduled to defend the U.S. title against Booker T on the pay-per-view. However, spoiler alert, Booker T is injured. Yeah. So it's Jarrett, Steiner, and Hugh Morris. And if you watched Extreme Rules on Sunday, this match was a bad version of the five-way where Joe and Bray Wyatt teamed up and kicked everyone else's ass, but neither of them would let the other even make a cover. Uh, this was a much worse version of that. You think? Um, for some reason, Steiner flipped out when Jarrett went for the stroke, and that caused the match to break down. Morris, lift, uh, Morris missed the no laughing matter, Steiner used the Steiner recliner. Jared, who was pissed off that Steiner broke up the stroke, hit Steiner with a guitar and left. Morris rolled over and picked up the pin over the United States champion, which was never mentioned on the show. Also never mentioned is that one-third of the main event of Slambury just lost in the match. To a complete mid-carter jobber. Suddenly, we are magically whisked away to the graveyard where Sting is looking for Vampiro. Uh, Then, just as quickly, we go back to the arena 
Eric Bischoff fires the entire MIA, despite none of them interfering. We are magically whisked away to another part of the arena where Russo and Liz are arguing, and then magically whisked back away to the graveyard where Sting is walking around, not realizing Dampier was walking behind him. Scott Hudson says, I don't like graveyards during the day, especially when it's dark. I think Scott was having a bad day today. What do you think? I think you're right. So we finally get some fighting here, and Vampiro beats the fuck out of Sting. And the problem is, it was so poorly lit, you couldn't see a goddamn thing that was happening. And keep in mind, Vince Russo's theory was that people would be clicking through the channels, see this, and stop. Why the hell would they stop on a segment that they couldn't even see what the hell was happening? Yeah, I got nothing. So it's that finished with them. The whole thing was useless. We'll get to later on, since they ended up fighting back again anyway. Makes you wonder why the fuck they bothered doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vampiro picked up a actual tombstone and busted it over Sting's head and Sting fell into an open grave and then Sting just crawled out as the segment ended. What <sighs> the fuck? He's like the Undertaker. Come on now. Crawls out of graves. In the Wrestling Observer that week, Dave Meltzer wrote, with the line of the night, Officially, because Sting may have died, this match was a no contest. Just because Sting could have died. He may have died. May have died, yeah. So Luger's warming up backstage and Flair's going crazy. And by the way, we forgot to mention that uh, as we get to the next match, which is DDP versus Tank Abbott, um, Tank's wrestling DDP, and if he beats DDP, then he gets to wrestle Arquette. And DDP, another member of the main event this Sunday at Slambury, also loses. Yes. Tank Abbott has one thing. is a knockout punch. That's it. That's all he has. Pretty much. He goes yeah, in and it's MMA, too. It's his entire gimmick. He walks in. He punches him in the face, and that's it. He's, if you ever think, you know, it takes skill to punch somebody in the face, or it doesn't take skill, you need to watch this guy because, you know, that was all he could do. So he walks in and gives Paige a knockout punch in 20 seconds. But Paige then pulls himself back to his feet. And in our head decided that Paige was too busted up 20 seconds in, they tried to interfere, but somehow they were lost in their locker room with a cameraman. Yeah. Um, Tank and Paige fought into the stands. Somehow the referee got bumped. So Jeff Jarrett smashed a bottle over DDP's head. Tank punched Paige in the face again. And even though Paige was on the floor, out the arena floor, the referee called it and announced that Tank Abbott wins. And so now he has to face the world champion, David Arquette. Some rewards. You beat the former world champion, you got a match with the current champion. Makes sense. There you go. So, for some reason, Mike Awesome and Hulk Hogan are fighting in the locker room. And then Kidman came out. Yeah, Kidman comes out for a promo. And the announcer said that Tory Wilson was not there, and that could hurt the Hogans. I don't know how. And then we get... Hogan with her not being there? Yes. I don't know. So Kidman starts to cut a promo regarding uh, Slambury and wrestling Hogan. However, then he decided that he doesn't get his ass kicked from the Millionaire's Club. And so he called Kevin Nash a washed-up, 
crippled piece of trash. And by sheer dumb luck, who just happens to be arriving at the arena an hour late? <laughs> Not surprised, another Millionaires Club member. Kevin Nash, you know. I know. So Nash is backstage talking to Terry Taylor while Kidman is cutting a promo threatening to beat up Hogan's wife for some reason. Um, and so Nash uh, just steps up, he walks out, and he beats the fuck out of Kidman because, again, why not? Nothing better to do. Because it wasn't just enough for him to push. Well, because that wasn't enough. Then outran Conan and Rey Mysterio, who had both left the company during the whole debacle with the Radicals and all that earlier in the year. Well, they didn't actually leave the company. They were sent home, and they're still under contract. Now, they ran in to interfere, doing a surprise return, and Kevin Nash beat them up, too. I want to fuck with Kevin Nash. No. So this would just be this would be funny if it wasn't so sad. Kidman runs away through the crowd. Conan and Ray run away into a waiting pickup truck. However, for some reason that was never explained, they were blocked and couldn't leave the arena. Yeah. And so then I Nash. I don't know how that was. So then Nash beat up Ray and Conan some more. And destroyed their car. What did the car? If that all sounds, yeah. If that all sounds bad enough, Vince Russo, the asshole that he is, uh, booked this angle where Nash, whose still whose ankle wasn't even healed yet, had to chase after Rey Mysterio, whose knee was still over a month away from being uh, completely healed. So. Thanks, Vince. Their next surgeries are on you. Yep. God. I'm going to take a breath here. Let's see. Okay, I want to play this. This is a mistake. Why would you call it that on your menu? I don't know what to tell you, man. Just give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Wait, wait. I worry what you just heard was, give me a lot of bacon and eggs. What I said was, give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Do you understand? Do you understand, Brian? I think so. I think he wants a fuck ton of bacon and eggs. So Russo came out for his match and he told Liz to do him so Liz told him to kiss her ass Uh, Luger and Flair walked Luger and Flair walked out and what you don't see because it's all the way in the background in the dark is uh, Shane Douglas and Buff Bagwell run out and beat up Ric Flair now, nobody mentions it. The announcers don't mention it. Luger doesn't care. Russo doesn't care. And so finally, Luger gets to the ring where 12 security guards try to stop him, including former NWA champion Mike Rapata. Thankfully, Mike was there to mace Luger. They cuffed him. And then Bagwell and Douglas beat up Luger. Liz checked on Luger and then hit Russo with a bat before running away. I want to point out there's 12 security, Russo, Douglas, and Bagwell, and none of them could catch Liz running away. Of course not. Why would they do that? Was it in the contract? Russo then, I'm sorry, Chronic then came out and beat up all the security including former NWA champion, Colorado kid, Mike Rapata. You're really high on this guy, aren't you? He, he's just my favorite, I don't want to call him a job, or like, he's just my favorite random person of all time. And he's, his, the biggest accomplishment 
was that he was a member of R&B security and that uh, he was the NWA champion for a couple months. And so Chronic beat up the fake security, and then the real cops came out and shook their finger at Chronic and then maced Chronic. That's what he did? Uh, so you just go around macing people if you're a cop. I should be a cop so for I mace people. So for some reason, Chronic and Luger were arrested. It was never explained why they were arrested, except they just were. Rick Flair disappeared into the ether, by the way. And so Vampiro was out next to cut another bad promo. Sting's music interrupted Vampiro, and so then a crow that you could barely see was on the Titantron. Sting, who 20 minutes ago was left for dead, not only got out of the grave, not only got back to the arena but did all that and got to the ceiling of the arena and hooked up to his harness just so he could fall from the ceiling to attack Vampiro. It's now, Sting. if this was real, leave the graveyard, come back to the arena, and instead of going right after Vampiro, he decided instead to climb to the ceiling of the arena and get hooked up to a harness just so he could repel from the rafters an attack of Vampiro. Uh, is there any question? Why are you questioning this? It's Vince Russo doing the booking. Sean Stasiak, by the way, is still shooting basketball. That bless that man's soul. Russo yelled at Liz in the locker room, so Liz slapped him. And then we got... By the way, you might have noticed we haven't had a match in a while. The I know, last match... we a very large gap, I noticed, while watching this. The last match featured Tank Abbott, and the next match features Tank Abbott. Oh, Tank well, Abbott has first breather. Versus WCW World Champion David Arquette. For some reason, the referee who's been allowing interference now for a month sees Canyon come out and throws him out immediately. Uh, and the champ was on offense, jumping on Tank's back. Um, Tank seemed to want to spare Arquette's life, but Arquette was insisting on fighting, so Tank threw him down again. Arquette went for a spear but got stopped. And when all of a sudden, by some sheer coincidence, DDP returned in an ambulance... CW production missed the two key spots of the match. The first was Tank KOing Arquette, and then the other was Paige coming in and giving Tank the diamond cutter. The referee, who somehow was knocked out, because there has to be a rough bump in every match, he woke up, he he counted three, and Arquette, the undefeated world champion at 3-0, picks up the win. 3-0. Three and zero. That's better than yeah. half the current roster's record. During the commercial break, we found out why Jeff Jarrett didn't interfere. Scott Steiner beat him up. So that you know what? That all three members. Yeah, all three people in the world title triple threat match got their asses kicked on the last Nitro before the pay per view. Are you at all surprised by that? Very, you know. <laughs> it sounds like it. So, so Sean Stacia, who somehow, despite all this, has now hit 5,221 consecutive free throws. He is tied for the most number of consecutive free throws in the history of mankind. Yeah. And he's about to shoot the record-breaking one when Kurt Henning comes up and beats him up. And that was the end of it. Oh. So, if this was real, which allegedly, you know, when you, when you ask Vince Russo, the other thing about, when you ask Vince Russo, why did Arquette win? He's like, 
bro, if this was real, you know, he could certainly win that match. So, okay, fine. If this was real, and Sean Stasiak just made 5,200 free throws in 90 minutes, and he did not actually shoot the record-breaking free throw, when Kurt Henning got done kicking his ass, why didn't he get up and try to shoot that free throw? That makes sense. I mean, and let's, pretend, let's pretend that he did, that he shot it and missed. Okay? So you're telling me that it's not that impressive that he just tied the world record for shooting 5,000 free throws in a row? I would be honored. That, 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 you, know. he, you think he belongs in the Guinness Book World Record for tying it, for fuck's sake. You sure? So then we get the random main event. Hulk Hogan yes, versus very Mike like Awesome. Hogan actually sold for Awesome for a little bit, but then took over Hogan. hitting him with a chair. Um, awesome whooped Hogan with a chair. Hogan began making his comeback until Kidman decided he hasn't gotten his ass kicked enough tonight and came out nope. to get his ass kicked again. For fuck's sake. Eric Bischoff had to distract the referee so Kidman could finally hit an offensive maneuver, which was a chair shot to Hogan's head. What a maneuver. And And that. Clearly saw Hogan cut himself. Yeah. Hogan blatantly cuts himself on camera. And that was enough for Austin to score the pin over Hogan. But I'll tell you what. Of all the fake pinfalls we've seen, if it were ended there, that was the closest we've seen to Hogan putting somebody over since this whole thing started. However, before I could finish writing that out, Hogan said fuck that shit, stood up and beat up Kidman and Awesome with a chair. (laughs) And once again, we are not surprised by this at all. A fan suddenly hits the ring, and security tackles him with a tackle of the century. And just as that's happening, we find out why. As the blood falls from the ceiling, Hogan sells for the blood. As the other new blood members run out, put the boots to him, and that was it for the show, Brian. Thank God. Another terrible episode in the books. Oh, God. So... What do you think of the main event? Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Like, it's Hogan's way past his prime. Like, maybe Hogan, like, in his prime versus Mike Awesome, that was a good match. Hogan, not so much in his prime yet. Nope, sorry. Oh, right. So. It feels like we're repeating the whole so and so doesn't run in and causes. So-and-so the match. Please. Oh, that's Vincent so writing for you. This is true. All righty, so some notes on the show. First, the only positive I can come up with, and that's, you know, despite what it sounded like, for some reason, the show did not feel as absurdly overbooked as usual, even though it was. Yeah. And while I had to press pause a couple times, I was not having to press pause 5,000 times so I could write down everything that was going on. Pause anything. And then we get the negatives of the show, which are enough. (laughs) Yeah. DDP, DDP, Jeff Jarrett, and David Arquette, the people in the main event world title match at Slamboree, were all laid out by people who were either in mid-card matches on the pay-per-view or in Tank Abbott's case, no match at all on the pay-per-view. Yes. Speaking of Tank, they killed whatever aura Tank had while being built up for Goldberg. Speaking of Goldberg, they pissed off Goldberg because he had to watch the, his opponent that he being built up for him get jobbed out to David Arquette. And even though we're allegedly building up all these new, young, exciting guys. Everybody under the age of 40 was made to look like a jobber 
except maybe Mike Awesome, but even he managed to look bad at the end. Yeah. So that leads us to how the ratings did. Now, we've got some really, really good news and some really, really bad news. As two records... No, we're doing the good news first. Two records were set on this night. Over on USA, Raw did their all-time highest opposed rating with a 7.4 for a show headlined by The Rock versus Shane McMahon. Hell yeah. Nitro, on the other hand, did their all-time record low rating of a 2.4, with one exception, by the way. Their second hour did what most of their second hours do, except their first hour did an insanely low rating, showing that the fans were turned off. You might have remembered me just saying that the second hour mostly stayed the same as usual. Well, there was one giant drop-off. One match or one segment lost over half a million viewers, all of which returned as soon as the segment ended. I'll let you guess which segment that was, Brian. Not really sure. Lex Luger and Vince Russo. Russo, who claims he does everything for the rating, uh, his segment, where he gets to look like a badass, loses over a million viewers, all of whom came back when this segment was over. So if, well, you know, if you were... Yeah. If you were... To take Vince Russo seriously you'd believe that, okay, that meant he's going to write himself less now. He's going to not book himself to be this ultimate badass character. Well, we find out the truth later on, don't we? Oh, yeah. So that is Nitro. You might notice that, by the way, that Terry Funk was not on the show. Uh, The reason for that was that... uh, He was in Philadelphia with the famous lawsuit where Cactus Jack and Terry Funk burned a fan in the ECW arena with a fire chair. Oh, lovely. So before we move on with one last thing I want to talk about, we want to get a word in from a great new board game that Brian, I'm sure, will play over and over again. And over and over again. If you want to win the game, you gotta take a good aim and get the most marbles with your hippo. Playing Hungry Hungry. Kent Patera. Hungry Hungry. Kent Patera. Hungry Hungry. Kent Patera. This is the name of the game, and who's ever hippo gets the most marbles wins. Playing Hungry Hungry. Kent Patera. Hungry Hungry. Kent Patera. I win. Hungry Hungry. Kent Patera. From Hasbro. Don't you want to play Hungry, Hungry, Ken for Terror, Brian? I think I'm good. <laughs> you, want, you want to know the backstory of that? Go ahead. Well, you might recall Ken Patera was arrested back in 1985 for uh, throwing a rock through a window of a McDonald's when they were closed and so he's refused service. Mean Gene Okerlund, when Ken Patera got out of jail and came back to the WWF in 87, uh, Mean Gene Okerlund would do these random on-screen things where he'd talk about how uh, uh, Ken Patera was just hungry and he was trying to get some food after the match and he was denied servant. And this all led to a verbal debate, which is on the WWE Network, on one of the primetime wrestling shows from, like, April or May of 87, where Bobby Heenan debates Ken Patera and features the greatest Ken Patera line of all time. I was sitting in prison, weasel. I had a lot of time to think of the Bobby Heenan types of this world. Types like yourself. You know, Ken Patera had a point. Bobby Heenan was an excellent example of the Bobby Heenan types of this world. 
Yes. All That's right. Exactly so, right. So we get to the we go to legal news, you know. Um Are we still on the air? Yes. Okay, good. Um I left the page. Uh gotta go back to that now. Hopefully everything's both good. I can't believe I did that. I guess this will tell the story of whether you can leave the page and still work. Uh, come on. Yeah, we're still on. Great. So, that's what I was going to say. Uh, we go to the legal news of the day. And, Brian, I, I know you probably want to talk to Donald Trump and uh, the FBI Director Comey and all that, don't you? Of course. Yeah, 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 sure. No, not really. However, that's not what we're going to be talking about. Thank God. Instead, are are you sure you don't want to talk about it, Brian? No, we're good. Go ahead. Okay. Instead, we're going to be talking about uh, the next WWE pay-per-view. Well, not the next (laughs) one, but the one after that one. We're going to be talking about the first annual Great Balls of Fire. And the reason why we're bringing this up is that Jerry Lee Lewis threatened a lawsuit against WWE over using the copyrighted term Great Balls of Fire. That was a song. What was that? That is a song. Yes. Uh, So, Jerry the King Lawler, by the way, uh, talked about this on his podcast this week, and he said that uh, thanks to the fact that actually Lawler and Jerry Lewis share the same lawyer, he was able to use himself as a middleman to broker a deal between Jerry Lewis and WWE. Um, and they basically, Jerry Lewis wanted to know why WWE would use that title, that copyrighted title, without contacting him for permission. Now... And what was the reason? Well, who knows, but it's WWE, this figure doesn't fucking matter. True. So... True. Yeah. uh, We still will have the first annual Great Balls of Fire coming up. Mm. Featuring... Uh, Brock Lesnar and Samoa Joe. Should uh, be a hell of a match if done correct. At least that'll be interesting. Yeah, and should so, be a hell of a match if done correct. So is there anything else you want to talk about? Besides the back of my eyelids and how good it's going to feel for my head to hit the pillow? Absolutely not. Okay, well let's talk about that. Let's not. You just said you wanted to talk about it. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Okay. Uh, by the way, spoiler alert, I thought that this was the week on Impact where uh, Low-Key defended the X-Division title against Sanjay Dutt, but it's not. It's next week. Oh, well... I'm sure I will not watch that. Did you see uh, who's the new Hall of Famer? TNA? Isn't it Jared? No, he's already already in. in. Oh. James Storm. Oh, lovely. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. You know what I, you know, I guess if I would have thought about it, I would have realized it. But do you realize how many tag team titles he's won in TNA? A lot. It's like I didn't even think about it because I mean I guess I guess what I thought about I really knew. I think he held like 15 world tag team titles in w, in TNA. Let me see here. He won. Yeah, he won seven with Chris Harris. Uh, sorry, no, he won six with Chris Harris. He won one with Christopher Daniels. He won five with Bobby Roode, and then one with Gunner and one with Abyss. So he's only won 14 World Tag Team titles. Which, only 14. By the way, 
Yeah, I believe that's also the number of days that he held the world title for. <laughs> Probably. Oh, Lord. Lord have mercy. I guess that's going to do it for today. Since Brian has to go to sleep, he's going to talk uh-huh. about more wrestling. So next week, it's Slamboree. Slamboree, yeah. Brian. Yeah. Yep. So until next week, adios, everybody. Goodbye. Good fight and good night.